You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we're feeling amazing in Fab Facts. We're taking a calculated risk of the first magnitude in the randomizer. And we're toasting everything that was with Andrew E.C. Gasker. Oh, that's all coming up in part 248 of the G.A. Jerry Anderson podcast. Uh. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Uh, Well, I see what you tried to do there. Um, Richard N. James. That's it, yes, exactly. And uh, Jamie L. Anderson. And we'll later be joined by Christopher R. Dale. Oh. Yeah. Right. So there we go. But none of us have too many names. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What, what, what? No, no. no, You're not seriously (laughs) suggesting that Chris Dale's middle name is Is Randomizer. Yes, it is. Yes, he had it changed by deed poll some time ago. Now, I I believe that Chris's middle name is Richard, strangely. Oh, fair enough. But the randomizer may correct me on that in, in yeah. due course. But yeah. um, mm. if not, it should be randomizer. Yeah, good, good. Uh, so if, good. if his R is for randomizer, yeah. as co-host of the podcast, what does your N stand for? Oh, I mean, it'd be handy if it were G and it would be Gubbins, wouldn't it? Yeah, but, it would but be. The N, that's quite tricky, isn't it? Yeah, well, the L's quite tough as well. Yeah, it is really. Oh, we'll have to think about that. If you've got suggestions, podstrons, email them to podcast at jerryanson.com. Let us know what you think our middle <laughs> initials stand for in the context of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Now, Jamie. Yes. Before we go any further. Yes. I have got a bone to pick with you. Oh, dear. Well, frankly, I'm a little bit annoyed. Oh, dear. <laughs> In fact, perhaps the N could stand for nonplus. Oh, I, uh, Which annoyed. was how I felt just yes. 20 minutes ago. Yes. When I watched a video released on the official Jerry Anderson YouTube account. Ah, uh, yes. Featuring the top five monsters yes. from Space Precinct. Yes. Number five was Alicia from Double Duty. Yeah. Number four, I think, was the alien Spore from mm-hmm. Death Watch. Number three was uh, the Snake from The Snake. Yep. Number two. Yes. Enil Kamada yes. from Predator and Prey. Yes. And number one, the Cyborg. Yes. Are you saying I'm a massive number two? I think you're everyone's favourite number two. Ah. Oh. <laughs> in every walk of life. Okay. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm putting that on a T-shirt. Uh, quite, as you should. And I'll yes. tell you what, though, you know who to blame for that Probably countdown. Probably AC, I would think. Nope. Chris Dale. I believe it was Chris Randomizer Dale. Right. Anyway, throughout right. this podcast, we'll be picking bones with each other, yes. making up things, saying things and other stuff about Jerry Anderson. Almost oh, certainly, yes. Yeah. Is that Not fair? making up a great deal. Most of it's true. Okay. Most or of it's opinion. true. Well, since you've complained about your top five, why don't you yeah. do uh, a top five countdown of the things that other people can expect to hear ah, during this podcast? Okay, well, let's do it in uh, order of preference, shall we? So, number five, we have Fab Facts coming up in just a moment. <laughs> of course. Of course. Uh, number four will be, well, newsy, news, 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 I suppose, because there's always news in the Jerry Anderson universe. Okay. Uh, number three, something to look forward to. This is an interview with Andrew E.C. Gasker. Yes. Talking about, I'm guessing from the little intro we made there, uh, a bit of Space 1999. Yes, it's about to everything that was and Aftershock and all the two graphic novels that are being released this year. 
Um, Wonderful. Where they came from, how they came to be, uh, what his aspirations were for additional ones, and what you might expect to see that's different into everything that was uh, I mean, from the original release. I have to say, where they came from and what they came to be, as you just said there, yeah. sounds like another title for a Space 1999 novel, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> I'd buy that. Uh, better yeah. get on with that one as well. Uh, yeah, number two, we have the randomizer coming up a little later on. You see, Chris put me at number two, so I'm putting him at number two. Quite right, too. Uh, but top of the heap, King of the Hill, A number one. It's our wonderful Podstrons. Hurrah. Who have been emailing again in their droves to podcast at jerryanderson.com. They've been tweeting us and hashtagging us, Jerry Anderson Podcast, tagging me, Richard N. James, him over there, I'm Jamie Anderson, and him over there, waiting by the randomizer, at Chris Dalek. And they've also been commenting on our Facebook group, so I shall be reading out all their comments and thoughts as we go through the episode. How's that? Brilliant. What a lovely countdown and great revenge to make Chris Dale your number two. Exactly. Good. Not so great that you made Fab Facts number five. Oh. But I'm afraid that doesn't impede its progress. Oh. And Fab Facts is pulling into the Jerry Anderson station yeah. just about now. Oh, I think it's on my toe. Now, time for this week's Fab Facts. Yes, indeed. It's the fifth best thing about the Jerry Anderson podcast. Out, Out of, of five. five things. Yeah, yeah, good. It's Fab Facts, where I have a book of Fab <laughs> Facts. Uh, Richard gets not very excited, but he does at least say the word fab. Yeah, I go through he, the motions, he don't use, I? Yeah, he uses some of his effort to do. Yeah, yeah. But the fab that he says stops me flicking through the pages of a tome of Fab Ooh, Facts. Yes. And there we hope to arrive upon a Fab Fact. We hope to. Can't guarantee it, but mm. let's give it a go. Richard, are you ready with your very enthusiastic fab? Born ready. Then here comes the flicking. Fab! Oh, now, did you hear how fast I went? Absolutely. The because I was trying to. You went at speed. I was trying to, you know, shake it up a little bit because mm. um, we've had a lot of 60s stuff. Okay. And it's worked because, well, we've reached the modern age. But have we? Before I get there, yes. Richard James. Yes. What was Thunderbird 2 made out of? I'm sure you know. I don't mean the model. I mean the actual real-life Thunderbird 2. What was it made out of? The mm. real... But hang on, you said not the model, but the real-life yes. Thunderbird 2. Well, you know, it, well it, the real-life Thunderbird 2 was the model, sure. No, but in, in the world of ah, Thunderbirds. Oh, I see. What was it made of? Mm. Uh, metal. Very good. Yes, that is, that is true. Any yeah? particular further information on said metal? Oh, you'd probably make it out a bit of... Aluminium, that's quite light, isn't it? Yeah, probably a bit flimsy, though, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Anyway, look, it was a, 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 it was an alloy <laughs> right. that incorporated the yet-to-be-discovered heat-resistant metal, Kahelium. Oh, well, how was I supposed to know that well, if it's yet to be discovered? Of course, that's the reason why. Sorry, uh, I forgot you didn't have your time machine on you. Uh, mm. uh, but I'm sure, though, uh, that you know that the real Thunderbird 2 model was made out of... Balsa uh, wood? Balsa wood? Fibreglass? Fibreglass. That sort of stuff? That Mo- sort of stuff. Model kit yeah. parts? Model kit stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. brilliant. Okay. That's what I'd say. Mm-hmm. However, I bet you didn't know right. that Thunderbird 2 was once constructed out of maze. Maze? I didn't know that, no. <laughs> no, that's well, true. Now Go you on. do. That's the yes. end of this week's... No, uh, no, no. no. This, this, uh, I, I know this one because, well, you'll find out why. So, uh, maze. Yeah. M A. I Z E. Yes, like of the sweet corn. Exactly. Yes. Now this happened because uh, York-based farmer Tom Piercy planted over a million maize plants right. to make a maze 
M-A-Z-E. Yes. yes. In the shape of Thunderbird 2. Right. Now, this was back in 2015 to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the series. Uh, and, of course, I was there. Um, yes. Which is how I know about this. Uh, the maize plants covered over 300 metres of ground, making it the largest maize maze in Europe and the largest representation of Thunderbird 2 ever created. Wow. Yes. Amazing. Uh, the passages through the maze took a week to cut and stretched. Oh, I thought you were going to say a week to navigate. Yeah. Almost. Uh, well, they did stretch for six kilometres. Really? Yeah. What's that? 3.8 miles-ish in, yeah. uh, in old money. Wow. Um, but how long did it take me to get lost in the maze? Ah, well now, Jamie, do you know the secret about mazes? Go on. Well, on your way in, mm. you just pick a way to turn each time, left or right. Right. And if you stick to that turning each time, mm -hmm. always turning left when you can, never turning right, mm -hmm. or always turning right when you can, never turning left, yes. you will make your way to the middle. And I think you could probably do it in about 12 minutes. Okay, well, here's how accurate you were. I didn't Not actually, accurate I didn't at actually, all. No, I didn't actually go in the maze. That's why. Oh, so. oh. <laughs> I, only, oh uh. I only saw it from above, uh, from okay. a helicopter, which was actually no, quite terrifying. It was, yes. it was very, very impressive, though. Mm. And in addition to the representation of Thunderbird 2 itself, there were also the words, Thunderbirds are 50. Oh, nice. You know, 5-0, like, yeah. Right. Uh, sadly, though, like all mazes of this kind, they don't last forever. And even International Rescue couldn't save the maze from the lucky cows that got to eat it. <laughs> Rude. Uh, yes, I oh, see. Well, sorry, actual cows. Actual cows, cows yeah. I see. Um, right. You can see some pictures of the maze at yeah. anda.sn slash maze, M A I Z E. That's okay. A N D R.sn slash M A I Z E. Yeah. What sort of crops, though, would you hmm. use to sculpt another Anderson craft? Oh. Perhaps a spelt SPV? Or How's that a spelt? As That's, a spelt, or a barley battle hawk, a barley battle hawk, <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, a, a wheat eagle. I mean, do <laughs> do let us know. We'd love to know your thoughts. Podcast right. at jerryanson.com, or yeah, uh, you can perhaps leave us a tweet using the hashtag #thundergrainsargo. <laughs> All right, now I'm going to confidently predict right now <laughs> that we are going to get no emails on that subject <laughs> okay. and no tags on Twitter. I, that's my prediction. Just saying. Okay, Potsrons, uh, you've heard wrong. Prove him yeah. wrong. Yeah. Thunder grains are go. Oh dear. Uh, Who writes great. this stuff? I've no idea. Yeah, got uh, me. Nice. Yeah, good. Lovely. Uh, no, it was very nice. It was a very hot day. I took a model of Thunderbird 2 there and um, right. posed with Tom who yeah. dressed up as Virgil, I think. Um, <laughs> and yes, it was it was quite a, a sweaty day, uh, mm. but rather cool. And I think one of the reasons I didn't do the maze was because at the time when they launched it, the maze was only up to your waist. So oh, okay. So you could sort of step over it or yeah, at least see. see where you were going. So it yes, was a, bit of, I see. A, a cheat. But, oh, um, I love yeah. a maze, though. I love a maze. I love a maze maze. Yeah, amazing maze maze. But now you've messed up mazes forever with your maze finding. <gasps> well, I know, thing. I know. Now you know, you'll always know. Yeah, sorry yeah. about that. That's mm. all right. Well, thanks okay. for that. Can't unknow it. Very much like this fab fact. So let's leave it behind. That's the end of this week's Maze Fact! It had to be. It had to be. Mm, there was it? nothing else, could no, really. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Well, look, let's navigate our way through the rest of the podcast, shall we? Ooh, and uh, turn keeping left to, all times. <laughs> yes, turn to our post bag. Uh, that's podcast.jerryanderson.com, of course. And people have been emailing in their droves. Uh, it's a bumper crop. 
Don Riley, top of the heap, says, hello, chaps. Hope you're doing well. I really enjoyed this week's Randomizer being a huge Tugs fan. Uh, Yes, this is the Randomizer controversy, of course. Yes. uh, Whereby uh, Chris Dale, uh, in a part of his Randomizer segment, uh, reviewed, um, let's say, a Jerry Anderson-related programme rather than a Jerry Anderson programme itself. Uh, Tugs, which you may or may not be familiar with. Uh, But Dom says he's been a, a huge fan. Uh, and I remember watching it, he says, when uh, it was repeated in the late 90s. Munitions is one of the best episodes, especially the use of Cinesound Library, which I discovered some years ago when watching London's Burning Series 3, Episode 2, that they had used a sound of a klaxon commonly used in Jerry Anderson's repertoire as a ship's engine explodes, resulting in a large fire. Mm. London's Burning also used an explosion sound from the Cinesound Library in Series 4, Episode 10, as a flashback of when Sub Officer Hallam is burnt alive, or rather buried alive, under the foundry in the previous episode. Well, there we are. And after all that, Dom says, stay safe. Thanks, Dom. Thanks (laughs) Thanks for that. If I don't stay safe, then hopefully my demise will be accompanied by a particular sound from the Cinesound Library. That would be appropriate. (laughs) Or, Or a good old Barry Gray. Yes, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> much, much more appropriate, I would think. Yeah. Uh, Leah got in touch to say, hello, Jamie, Richard and Chris. I was watching the Sham Cham the other day and noticed that Lady Penelope's disguise looked a lot like Marina. Any thoughts or comments? Is it Marina's puppet they used or is someone else uh, or is it someone else or a specially made puppet, which I personally doubt, says Leah. Gosh. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I don't Interesting, know. isn't it? No. Uh, so someone will know the answer, and whoever you are, you will email us in. Yep. Podcast at jerryanderson.com. Yep. Thank you. And answer Leah's question. Ambassador Paul Hyde from the Isle of Wight has been in touch. You know, as you can imagine, we've had a lot of correspondence about uh, Chris Dale's randomizer. Well, it split the nation. It really did. Uh, Paul Hyde says, Hi, everyone. Hope you're all well. I think the randomizer general has gone potty by doing something not Anderson related. How dare he do that? One other thing I need to ask, Jamie, (laughs) sudden gear change there. While watching the documentary about your father, while Jamie was talking in the background, there was a bust of a head and it looked like Alec Freeman from UFO. Was it? Well, I can exclusively reveal on the Jerry (laughs) Anderson podcast that it was, in fact, not Not. Alec Freeman. It was not even Anderson related. It was just Ah. a bust at Palmer Studios. I see. Okay. Right. Sorry to disappoint uh, you. Yeah, that's a shame. Gary Davis got in touch to say, Hi, Jamie, you called for comments on this week's randomizer. Yep, certainly did. did. Please, please oh, yeah, instruct the randomizer, says Gary. No more non Anderson shows on the Jerry Anderson randomizer. Any further transgression should be a sacking offence. <gasps> could you imagine? Who else would do it, though? Yes. Who else could we get? Well, no one. Uh, mm, uh, Gary suggests he's either been misteronized or on the Captain Scarlet Champagne. Uh, it's yes. quite possible. I have yes. thought that myself. Mm. Uh, Jonathan Westall said, Hello, Jamie, Richard, Chris, and fellow Podstrons. Hope you're all doing well. I'm continuously enjoying the podcast every week. Uh, I've read the latest Five Star Five novel, says Jonathan, and thoroughly enjoyed it. I look forward to reading what comes next. Oh. <laughs> really? Uh, mm. Keep up the good work, Richard, says uh, Jonathan. In light of what happened in Pod 246 when an episode of Tugs came up on the randomizer, he continues, I was surprised 
but really enjoyed hearing Chris's thoughts, uh, as I remember watching it on VHS during my childhood. I watched the episode again on YouTube later and could see why it was chosen. The model work and explosions in it were brilliant, which is something that I always enjoy when watching the Super Marination shows. Yes, Tugs isn't a Jerry Anderson production, but then again, neither was the Paul Star pilot episode, and that came up on the randomizer all the way back in Pod 42. That's yeah. true. There you go. So there is precedent. Mm. Keep up the good work, gentlemen. F-A-B-S-I-G-P-W-O-R, says Jonathan Westall. Continuing on a similar vein, as you said, it did divide the nation and certainly mm. got our podstrons rather riled. Uh, it did. Chris Turner says, hi, Jamie, Richard and Chris. On uh, pod 246, after Chris's review of Tugs, with its rather tenuous link to Thunderbirds, you were wondering what other shows with an equally tenuous link to all things Anderson Chris could review. So here are some of my nominations. Do you want to hear these? I cannot wait. Of course. Uh, well, firstly, Coronation Street. Shane Rimmer appeared in the show in the late 1960s, so that wow. would be a good place to start. We've I gone really, yep. really off-piste immediately with these suggestions. Well, yes. Uh, uh, Chris says, I'm really looking forward to Chris's humorous, t- humorous take on the long-running feud between Ina Sharples and Elsie Tanner. Uh, then he suggests Mission Impossible. Space 1999's Barbara Bain and Martin Landau appeared in the first three seasons of the TV version of the franchise. <laughs> Maybe Chris could explain how the Impossible Mission Force could load up their gear into a van and then drive to the East European People's Republic, which always looks suspiciously like Southern California. Hmm. But, says Chris, my number one nomination will be 2001 A Space Odyssey. The connection is, of course, that director Stanley Kubrick poached several of the Andersons' visual effects crew, including Brian Johnson. So, Chris's randomizer will be the perfect forum for explaining the big questions posed by the film. What is the significance of the black monolith discovered on the moon? Why does Hal the computer go rogue and start killing the astronauts on the Jupiter mission? And just what is that ending all about? Over to you, Chris. Best Gosh. wishes, Chris Turner. There. Those are some seriously insoluble questions, though. So. Great ideas, yeah. Yeah. Good luck, Chris, with um, those future episodes of The Randomizer. Good luck. Yes, but finally, and again on the same theme, hello, Rich and Jamie, says Simpsons Clips 24. I was listening to the most recent podcast, and you were mentioning something about a dance synchronised to the podcast theme. But I think you might have forgotten one thing, chaps. Did you not see me dance to the podcast theme at the live recording last year? Oh, I don't recall that. Oh. We'll have to see it again at some yes. future event. Yes. SIG says Simpsons Clips 24 PS. Do you reckon the next time the podcast falls on Brian Johnson's birthday that Chris Dale could take a look at an episode of Dream Street? It was a preschool TV show which Brian directed that featured radio-controlled vehicles not too dissimilar to Tugs as the main characters. We've opened a can of worms. Oh, goodness me. Haven't we? Well, we were some time ago worrying about when the randomizer might run dry. And at this rate, sure. yeah. I mean, you can just put in any old rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little unfair. A yeah. little unfair. I, I, I'm in a little unfair mood. You are. You are. I can tell. Uh, mm. Yes, all for now. But keep those emails coming in because we love to hear from you. We would be nothing without you, our wonderful Podstrons. So send them in at podcast at jerryanderson.com. Do that. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, Forgot I, the rest of the day off. I, I, well, I wish. Wouldn't hey. that be lovely? Oh, lovely snooze. Ooh. <laughs> anyway, no, there's lots more. Oh, And is rather than Jerry Anderson's snooze... Yes. Shall we have some Jerry Anderson news? I see what you did there. <laughs> it wasn't bad, was it? Clever you. <laughs> Here's some Jerry Anderson news.
News, 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 news. Uh, are you waking me up from my Jerry Anderson's news? Got to be quick. With news of the Jerry Anderson news. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is the Jerry Anderson news, yeah. news, news, news. Yeah, go on then. Which will hopefully prevent you from needing a snoozy snooze, snooze, snooze. snooze. Thanks for playing along. Uh, <laughs> International Women's Day has been and gone. Yeah. However, Last week. you might like uh, to watch the Women of UFO, a short documentary on ah. the Jerry Anderson YouTube channel mm-hmm. featuring Wanda Bentham. Ooh, Gabrielle Drake. I would imagine so. Jane Merrow, Georgina yep. Moon, and some I others too. So. Yep. Uh, yep. It's a really lovely thing. Lots of little candid moments of them remembering things, including yes. some very specific memories from Wanda Ventham about a jockstrap. Right. So I'll leave you to watch The Women of UFO on the Jerry Anson YouTube channel for more of that. <laughs> also on the Jerry Anson YouTube channel... The Keith Shackleton story continues. So if you enjoyed our interview from a few weeks ago, you can now see some of the video footage uh, of Keith talking about um, the genesis of TV21 and the licensing of uh, AP Films and and TV Century 21 and TV21 itself. And it's all very interesting. So enjoy that. Lovely. Uh, UFO fans, for the special edition of the UFO Technical Operations Manual, you may remember that we included a newly designed retro-style poster for the cat with ten lives. So that would have been the film that was being made that was the cover-up for the events that happened in the episode Cat with ah, Ten Lives, you see. I see. Yeah. So that uh, poster is now available on a t-shirt because lots oh. of people were requesting it. So if you just oh. go to the Jerry Anderson store and search for Ten Lives or Cat with Ten, um, right. then you'll find it there. Yeah. Good. Have you yet entered our prize draw to win a lovely collection of Terrorhawks goodies? I have not. Well, you should do it immediately because uh, the competition closes on the 17th of March. Mm -hmm. Um, You can enter it just by finding the post on social media and following Mm -hmm. the instructions therein. Mm -hmm. So it's a a retweet and a follow and a mention on Twitter, that sort of thing. Um, Every entry counts separately, but you can only do it once per platform. And uh, we will randomly draw a winner. Uh, on or after the 17th, you'll be getting uh, audio CDs and uh, Blu-rays and a Zelda mask and uh, some other bits and pieces too. So, right. Nice. There you go. It's all part of our celebrations of Terrorhawk's 40th anniversary and the 10th yep. of every month we'll be doing something. And Great. this month is that giveaway. Lovely. Now, for some, I think they may describe it as a big win coming um, oh, yeah. this Friday. All right. On go the 17th on. in the evening, there's a Joe 90 live stream happening. Is there? Yes, well, are indeed. You, are you doing that? Um, I, I'm, I'm being cajoled oh, to do it. We'll see. I, I think we'll have some people who are maybe a bit more pro Joe 90 because okay. there pro are 90. plenty of them. Pro 90, very yeah. good, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think tune in from 6 or 6.30pm, maybe 7pm right. actually. Uh, you'll be able to <laughs> right. see on all of our uh, social media platforms and YouTube. And um, I'm told that at the end of it, there will be a very special announcement. Oh, really? Mm. What about? Yep. <laughs> secret, innit? <laughs> oh, I'm trying to trick you. Goodness me, yes, it's yeah, top you secret. You can tell me. Just, well, I'll tell you afterwards. Me. No, tell me now. No, no, no they're not listening. Go away. Right. Anyway, oh. so tune in on Friday for some Joe 90 fun and a big win if you're a Joe 90 fan. Right. Um, if you are a Space 1999 fan, however, yes. the six-inch figures yep. of your favourite Space 1999 characters should be arriving in stock this week. Uh, we only have about 80 of them left, so um, if you're looking to get hold of them, just pop along to the Jerry Anderson store and search uh, Space 1999, and you can get a, 
uh, a Victor Bergman figure, uh, a Morrow oh. figure, or a Koenig figure. Wow. Or all three. And they yeah. are rather lovely articulated things, nicely sculpted, brilliantly finished, uh, and I'm sure you'll enjoy those. And finally, as you may have seen, yes, the Joe 90 soundtrack is on the way. Ah, lovely. And it's being released on the 14th of April. If you want to Great. pre-order it, you can do so from the Jerry Anton store or wherever you buy your CD soundtracks. Mm. Nice. Does it come with its own... soundtracks. Sort of, uh, oh yeah, CD. Go on. Yeah. Well, does it come with its own sort of big rat chair and device that you can sit in while you're listening? Uh, I'm afraid <laughs> not. You'll have to oh. make up your own there. <laughs> ah, there's a competition. Yes, build your own big rats. No <laughs> prizes, but maybe some notoriety. Uh, that's all we can offer here at the Jerry Hansen Podcast. Yeah, anyway, true. that's loads of stuff. I feel like really we should is. stop talking now. Yeah, so okay. that is the end of this week's Jerry Anderson News, but the beginning of this week's Jerry Anderson Snooze. That was the news. That you... Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. I thought you were going to go, that was the news time for a snooze. Richard, Richard. <laughs> yeah, thank sorry. You. What? What was that? Yeah. 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 Great. Well, I'm, I'm glad you stopped there because there'd be no news for next week, would there? Oh, there's always news. There is always news. Uh, great. Just like there's always people commenting on our Facebook group. Yes. Can't there. stop them. No, very easy to find us. Just go on over to Facebook if you're on there. And uh, why not search for uh, official Jerry Anderson podcast listeners group? Answer a couple of questions. We'll let you in. And uh, like Alex Patrick, David Hollis and Joe Hollis and uh, Hannah and Nathan and Andrew, you could comment as well. So David Hollis says, uh, look what just arrived today. And he posted a picture of his Space 1999 Moonbase Alpha blanket. God. Nice. Yeah, he said it's big and it feels nice and warm. I think this is a great buy. Yeah. Oh, isn't that That's lovely? Good, no? Yeah, nice review. Uh, Alex Patrick says, if Chris Dale can get away with doing a non-Anderson production, here we go, uh, albeit with an Anderson link, are Team America World Police, the 2004 Thunderbirds movie, and maybe Neon Genesis Evangelion on the table? 2024 marks the 20th anniversary of the first two, and the 1st of April is on Monday that year. Mm. But Joe Holly suspects, mm. well, uh, a lot of Team America clips would be censored, but there are also potentially kids listening, says Joe. That's true. I know Jerry stopped watching it during the puking scene. <laughs> I got to the end of the puking scene, to did be he? fair. Yeah, pretty much the end of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to confess, I did do a search for it the other night online on our various streaming things. It's only available on Paramount Plus, I think. And yeah. I was going to have to pay to, to watch it, so I, I thought I'd leave it. But I remember it being a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, Hannah says, as good as the Series 2 are, talking Thunderbirds here, as good as the Series 2 and movie heads are, I much prefer the Series 1 versions. I think they have something that the later ones don't. They seem to have more life in them. That's the best explanation I can think of. What are your thoughts? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, what do you think about the heads from Series 1 as opposed to the heads from Series 2? I, I'm I'm uh, cranium agnostic, I think. Fine. Well, Nathan Dunham says, Is there any story behind why the puppet head for Scott was changed? His original was really charismatic, whereas the other one I hate with a passion. He looks like a complete, unfeeling half-wit. Gosh. Well, don't hold back. No. Nathan. Yeah. I, I'm really not sure. Uh, but, what, uh, uh, no. Sorry. Yeah, but uh, luckily, AC very calmly explains, the second one was created for the larger cinema screen and then used for the series two episodes. Well, there you go. Now you know. So that might account for the uh, the change that Hannah noticed between a lot of the heads in from series one to series two, the fact that they were, uh, you know, augmented and perhaps perfected a little for the big screen and yeah. then simply used for the later episodes. Exactly. Mm, there you go. If you'd like to be a part of conversations like this, 
and many more. <laughs> and, and many more. And post pictures of your merch and pictures of your cosplay and the models you're building uh, and anything that reminds you of Jerry Anderson. Then head on over to our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash podstrons and do exactly that. Lovely. It's a nice there place to be, isn't it? It is a nice place to be, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, so while you're doing that uh, yeah. right now, I mean, I can introduce you to the interview if you like. Oh, yeah, you do um, that. By yeah. the time well, I've introduced it, you'll yeah. be ready to come back and give it your full attention. <laughs> That's a good idea, yeah. How's but... that? Okay, well, this week's interviewee is Andrew E.C. Gasker. Mm-hmm. But I shan't be calling him that throughout this. I shall be calling him Drew. Okay. It's easier to say. Uh, Drew is what is known as a Canon consultant. Is he? For 20th Century Fox. I like the sound of that. 20th Century Studios, I should say. Uh, Now, it has nothing to do with um, firing balls of iron. Instead, it means that he is an expert on franchises like Alien, Terminator, Predator, Planet of the Apes, and many more. Right, okay. He's written role-playing games, novels, comics, um, and even extensive in-house Bibles for various companies to help keep track of the canon for expansive storylines. Ah, in addition to all this work, he also created two lovely books, To Everything That Was and Aftershock and Awe, both mm. essential for Space 1999 fans. Now, they've been out of print for about 10 years, but uh, both are coming back. To Everything That Was is available to pre-order now. Uh, and he's going to talk about that in particular, as well as Aftershock and Awe and um, his hopes for what he wanted to do, what he did do, what we will be doing for this release. So, yes, um, let's hand over now to me weirdly and uh, drew not so weirdly yes okay here they go so this week our guest is andrew ec gasker i'm going to be calling him drew throughout this but uh drew why don't you introduce yourself hi i'm andrew ec gasker i am uh the writer of the award-winning alien role-playing game uh i have worked on the terminator role-playing game Several years, I've been a consultant to first uh, 20th Century Fox, now 20th Century Studios, on Alien, Predator, and Planet of the Apes. I've uh, written internal Bibles for those properties over uh, over at Fox, and uh, I've written a couple of Planet of the Apes novels. And I, I, I uh, apparently, and I was unaware of this, apparently I wrote something called Space 1998. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> uh, you know very well. Uh, about that show and you're going to go into some detail in due course i'm sure so uh, can i can i call you drew or do you want me to go for andrew i I mean you can be called andrew ec gasket through every single (laughs) mention if you prefer but uh, drew's (laughs) gonna be easier isn't it drew Um, works better for me yeah so drew you instantly dive in with quite the uh the cv of the resume i should say sorry for our american listeners of cult tie-in uh games and comics and stuff would you say you are a cult TV and comics aficionado, perhaps? Is that fair? It depends on what your definition of cult is, because nowadays all this stuff is mainstream. You know, it, it's, I mean, you say Space 1999 and people are still like, wait, what's that? Because it's sort of passed uh, without a couple of generations without any new, you know, uh, film content. But I mean, Star Wars or, or Alien or, or, or Planet of the everyone, everyone, Everyone's, oh, that's cool now, as opposed to high school when I used to get beat up after school for liking it. So I don't know. I don't It, it was called at one point. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it's, yeah, you're right. I, I mean, the geekdom in general, nerdom has, yeah. has become more, more mainstream, more acceptable, more cool, and more widely embraced, I guess. So, well, let's go back then just to your uh, 
your early days, if it's not too painful for you, uh, of, <laughs> no, of being beaten up after school. So <laughs> what got you into this world at the time? What are the kind of key <laughs> titles and moments of your, your youth that got you into science fiction and cult, which is now mainstream? So, so the first thing definitely would be, and I'm sure a lot of people will say this is Star Wars. Um, I, I'm, I was born in 72, so I was five when Star Wars came out. So I was, I was too young when Space 99, I started to like be watching it as it aired. But Star Wars and the fact that Star Trek was on every channel, everywhere, at any time, you just turn the channel out, but episodes are, turn to the next channel, we'll watch the Star Trek here. And my dad used to watch Star Trek all the time. So during the summers, we, it's funny. It's so, it's so different now. My parents, we had air conditioning in one room, my parents' bedroom. Okay. And it, we would all, my sister and I would sleep on the floor in my parents' bedroom during the summer when it's really hot. And we'd wait for my dad to come home, my mom and my sister and I. And when he'd come home, he immediately put on Honeymooners, which was followed by uh, Twilight Zone and Star Trek. And then, like at one in the morning, Space 1999. All right. And so, so six or seven year old me is watching this stuff and loving it and then passing out by the time Space 1999 comes around. So I remember back in those days, like, like falling asleep and then hearing Maya's transformation sound and waking up like, wait, what? She's a bird now? Okay. And then falling back. <laughs> and that, and that, that plus my friend had the eagle uh, from Mattel, the big, uh, nice. And we used to we used to cram Star Wars figures in there, um, so you know, Could cross I totally, over. yeah, and 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 you know, I I love that stuff. I also had this amazing puzzle, uh, which actually ties into what we're uh, we're doing with the book stuff. It was it was is this greenish puzzle it was painting by Gray Morrow. It was supposed to be the cover of issue nine of the Charlton comics, but the top comics had been canceled, so they're like, yeah, it's making a puzzle. So um, I had that puzzle, and I I used to. I built it and it was one of those few puzzles that like I didn't want to take apart. So my mom had it on a, a, a piece of board and we glued it down. And and uh, so I had that in my room and, and just really loved that painting with it. It's, it's a bunch of robot cyborg things attacking Helena and and uh, Koenig. And um, it just it, it's a, such a story in that one painting. With so without without so I I was I was into Space 1999 without being into Space 1999 at that okay. point. And then in, um, if we're going to fast forward a little bit, I mean, I don't know if we circle around conversation stuff, but we will. <laughs> yeah. In, in regards to Space 1999, loving Space 1999. When I was in college, well, I've always been a Battlestar Galactica fan, and that never ended. Okay. And then there was this book called Analyzing Battlestar Galactica, I think, from okay. John Kenny Muir. And I read his book and it was a really good factual breakdown of the show and I really enjoyed it. And I said, well, what else has this guy done? And he wrote a book called Exploring Space 1999. Ah. And at that point, you couldn't get Space 1999 on DVD or Blu-ray or anything. And I was like, well, you know what? I vaguely remember the show. I kind of want to watch it again. This is before internet people. So, <laughs> so <laughs> internet was in its infancy. Wow. Uh, so we'd go to comic conventions and everybody would have bootlegs of every show. Nice. Right. Yep. You know, and it's, it's like, it's like, it would be 15th generation videotapes of, of a <laughs> show that still has part of the commercials in it. Um, but it was only way to get these shows to see them back then. Yeah. And, and so and as much as the fact that all this bootlegging was going on and thought the networks and, and everything at that point were recognizing the treasure trove they had that everybody wanted to see. 
So I got every I went to convention, I get a couple of Space 1999 tapes. And um, then I fell completely in love. Even with the with the rubbish bootleg copies, it was still we an didn't experience. know anybody back then. <laughs> we didn't know <laughs> yeah, if only you could have compared it back then yeah. to, to Blu-ray. Okay, so <laughs> whatever happened when you watched it first time, yeah, it grabbed you enough to kind of plant the the space nineteen ninety nine seed. So what what was it about the show, particularly when you've got a backdrop of stuff? as epic as Star Wars and as long running and as, and as vol- involved as Star Trek and all that kind of stuff, space, this, this British show made to feel American, it's got a different feel to it. So how come that got its hooks into you? Do you think? As a child, Maya definitely was a big, <laughs> and it's uh, usually true. Aside the, from her, the aside from her sound effect of uh, waking me up every, every five minutes. Yeah. Uh, Beautiful actress, um, uh, you know, uh, Shane. She turned into whatever she felt like, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it was cool. I, it was easy to, as a child, to be, all right, I'm going to turn into an eagle now. I'm going to do this now, you know? So it was definitely Maya and the eagle. And, okay. and I think everybody, everybody you talk to loves Space 1909. The eagle has got a special place in their heart, I think. Yeah, always. Um, it, it's one of the best designs that we've had in sci-fi that kind of looks like it looks like, hey, we could we could go there, even though uh, we probably wouldn't go there in that direction. You know, it's got <laughs> it's got all those pieces on it, like Star Wars does. So it looks like it's real. It's not just some smooth thing. Um, it looks like it's kind of functional the way the the way the landing pads are, and and the fact that it can pick up the different cargo containers. I love that. As yeah. What are they going to get now? You know. But um, I only wish that on the show it separated the the nose and the engine and could put it together like on the toy. But aside from all that, right, uh, I was already falling in love with Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock and all that other stuff with Star yeah. Trek. And that, that type of, without realizing it, that type of um, moral moral play was was getting, uh, you know, uh, ingrained in me and, and helping shape who I became as an adult. And there was a bit of that going on, you know, in season one, for sure, with 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 uh, Victor and, and Koenig all the time. Uh, so... By the time I got to college and looking at it, I was like, okay, so this was intended as Star Trek's successor on the airwaves. And I think that in the first season, there's some really epic episodes that were accomplishing that. There were some, like, what the hell is this? <laughs> the episodes also. And season two kind of goes way off the rails. But yeah. um, there's still something in all that. Yeah. The the thoughtful, the philosophical, the the human, as well as... Maya and Eagles. So yes. you the, the eye candy and the thoughtful stuff, basically, whether what? it be people or or, or vehicles. Well, I, I tell I tell people um all the time, it's like it's like the, these properties that captured my heart and so many others are things like Star Trek and and Face Engine and Plally Apes. Like in Plally Apes, it's like as a kid, I'm like, monkeys on horses, awesome, you know? <laughs> and they got guns. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, but then as an adult, you're like, wait, this is talking about some serious issues, social mm, yeah, political yeah. stuff. And you're like, so so it, it works on so many different levels that the whole family can enjoy it for absolutely different reasons. Yeah. So I, I think our love for these things, which were clearly hooked as a child in most of our cases, has as matured as we have, you know, yes. what we love about it. Yeah. And that there's definitely something in that that kind of 60s to 80s approach to entertainment when when things were not so 
pigeonholed to a certain demographic. So, you know, yeah, stuff that kids will watch now between six and nine, they'll probably never revisit because there's no new layer to find. But like you say, yeah, you kind of keep peeling back the layers as you grow older, as well as the nostalgia factor. So I, I can see that it's like yeah. a, a heady mix, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But it, but it's like it's not just nostalgia. There is important things to be said in these properties, space yes. IGN and included. And as an adult, what I like about space IGI and that differentiates it from the other is the dark gothic feel of that first season. You know, uh, it 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 feels like space is a scary place. Yeah. Even the idea of um, the mysterious unknown entity that's that's guiding them through a black hole or something like that. It's like, what is that thing up to? It's like, why would it? What? What is it? Why is it saving the moon? What does it need them for somewhere else? There was all these questions that unfortunately uh, never got answered on the show itself. But you know, fans and fans turned professionals have been thinking about this stuff for like 40, 50 years now. You know, yeah. And and then we end up with what we're going to talk about shortly. Just so there's two things I want to cover before we get onto the the books. Uh, first is beyond space 1999 into the other um, kind of Anderson titles. Is there is there anything else that has that entered into your consciousness when you were a, a kid, a teen, from the worlds of Anderson, or has happened since, uh, or is it is it all laser focused on space? It's actually it for me. It actually is laser focused on space. I never got to see UFO growing up. Actually, I still haven't seen UFO. Everyone what? tells me I need to see UFO. I know, I know. I mean, true. Yeah, maybe if somebody that. sent me a Blu-ray set, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, hint taken. We'll have to see what we can do there. Okay. Well, that, but that's great to, to keep yeah. it kind of space focused. Is yeah, um, yeah. It, is, it means you're the man for the job, right? On this, uh, on this project. Thank you, Drew. More yes. Drew next week. Lovely. If you would like a copy of To Everything That Was, or certainly to secure one, then you can do so at ander.sn slash T-E-T-W, or lowercase, that's A-N-D-R dot S-N slash T-E-T-W, To Everything That Was. Yeah. I mean, I've got a question. Yes. Uh, you mentioned in your little introduction there that yes. uh, some of the stories contain new material linking years one and two from the series. Well, I Space didn't actually say that, but uh, uh, oh. I, I cut. I stopped short. Of, um... <laughs> Did you? I wasn't listening. No, I know you weren't, but you've read it from the script now. So yeah, uh... is that okay to keep it in? Of course. Well, yes. because the question is, in my head, when I'm thinking of something that happened between series one and series two, mm. what theme tune did they use? <laughs> Um, opened with series one, closed with series two theme, I think, oh, in my head anyway. Okay. Yeah, I could go with that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the way to go. Okay, yeah, well done. That's good. Great. Thank goodness. Yeah, interesting <laughs> interview. Right, let's move on quickly. Uh, over on Twitter. Oh, yes. People have been hashtagging us Jerry Anderson podcast. Have they? Uh, giving us their thoughts about all things Jerry Anderson related. They yes, have. yes. Yeah. For example, Ms. Solo tweeted, this is a nice one. In our long-standing hunt for a new-to-us, she's an ex- He's a Y, Together They Solve Cozy Crimes series. We've discovered a Jerry Anderson series about a vicar that solves crimes. And yes, he's a puppet. A puppet? <laughs> That's good. I've never really thought of uh, Secret Service as being sort of cozy crime, buddy, buddy. He's a vicar. She's, you know, he's a... He's, he's, a, he, he's a gardener. Um, he's a m- minuscule gardener. And together, they solve crime. That's quite nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like there was a Space Nine... Not Space Nine, sorry. A Secret Service VHS teaser trailer yes hang on 
I'm going to find this. Okay. I'm really on. sorry to do this while we're, you know, you carry on busy. But uh, yes, you, you you talk amongst yourselves, and I'll find this thing. Well, look. Uh, in the meantime, Dave Lawson has tweeted that intro to the, for the randomizer. Oh, this is uh, the infamous randomizer of a couple of weeks ago. It was so funny. Uh, after all that apologising for doing non-Jerry Anderson stuff, says Dave, and playing the Batman theme, it's hard to drive properly when I'm laughing so hard. Yes. <laughs> after a very fulsome apology. Chris mm. led us all up the garden path again by leading us to believe he was doing Batman in the Jerry Anderson podcast for the randomizer. <laughs> uh, but was not to be. Ian Jacqueline says, for those of you over the pond, do you remember watching Jerry Anderson shows, particularly one known as Captain Scarlet and the Mistrons from 1967? It was a series that was created by the makers of classic TV shows such as Fireball XL5, Stingray and Thunderbirds. And in 2005, the show was reimagined using CGI, to which Scott Martin replied, I'm in the US and came to almost all Jerry Anderson shows as an adult in my 30s. Ah. Wow, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. So, missed out as a child, I guess, because they weren't quite so ubiquitous. Uh, but I suppose what with streaming and everything, it's much easier to get, you know, to come across these things, even across the pond in yeah. later life. Very, it's very global these days, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, now, I've managed to oh, track yes. down the audio from this uh, Secret Service ITC trailer. Would you like to hear it? Oh, I'd love to. Go on. Uh, and uh, here it comes. <laughs> The Secret Service. Criminals are motivated by greed. They're a devious back. But Father Stanley Unwin answers to a higher source. Yes, indeed, we must remember that. Her Majesty's Secret Service. Magnificent. He's a man of considerable ability. A very forceful addition to anyone's army. Whose greatest assets are an honest face. Why am I telling you all this? And the Minimizer, a top secret shrinking device. Let's just call it a miracle. With the help of his trusted assistant, Matthew, Father Unwin fights the big crimes in a small way. It will require a very unorthodox approach. Join the crime fighter who's one of a kind in The Secret Service. Well, <laughs> that's great. There you are. Uh, that that yes. was worth waiting for, wasn't it? <laughs> it really was. Do you think we and should do... What a strange voiceover that was, too. I know. Do you think we should do every <laughs> podcast in that voice? <laughs> With great. his secret weapon... Chris Dale and his oh, randomizer. That's wonderful. It's fantastic, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Oh, well found. <laughs> well found. Well, it's actually thanks to Chris that I found it because he'd, uh, he'd made a, a video of it a little while ago, which I was able to pull down. So thank you, Chris Dale. Yes, um, no. I'm sorry to distract from where you were going. No, that's uh, great. No, that right. proves the point perfectly. It's lovely. <laughs> uh, uh, continuing, Harry Dibbs has tweeted, I think I'm a lifelong fan of modernist architecture, precisely because I grew up in cramped old York Watching Jerry Anderson's spectacular sets in Technicolor looks like the future, like freedom, he says. Ooh. That's an interesting point, isn't it? Yeah. It looks like the future. Really interesting. Mm. Uh, Andrew Spratt says, While I was clearing my attic in 2019, I came across a letter from Lookin magazine where my drawing of Jerry Anderson's Space 1999-style spaceship was on display at Blackpool from 1976 when I was 13. Found some other drawings as well from 1976. I was daft on Eagle and Hawk spaceships. Well, <laughs> wasn't everyone? Ah. Now, you're going to like this one, Jamie. Uh, hang on. You normally say that when it's something that I won't like. So. No, but you really will. This is a tweet from Dogthorpe Infant School. 
All right, okay. And they have tweeted over 60 years ago when Dogsthorpe Infant School was in its own infancy, Jerry Anderson was using everyday objects like kitchen plastic and cardboard boxes and tubes to build rockets and launch pads to fuel their children's stories. This term, our early years foundation stage infants are building their own. Oh, lovely. Isn't that wonderful? That's from Dogsthorpe Infant School. They're Amazing. on Twitter. Go and find them and give them a follow and see how they do. We will, absolutely. Yes. Let's, let's see. They might be yeah. uh, inspiring the next generation by doing that. It's, Brilliant. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, we like a bit of that, don't we? Great. There we are. That's all for now on Twitter. But uh, don't forget, hashtag us and tag us and tweet some nice things to us. And I might read them out. Well, I can't wait for you to do so. Yeah, see well, how I feel. Well, well, I do wait. Yes. I feel like we should hand over to a third party. Oh, yes. To <clears> deliver <throat> his sermon this week. Uh, do you mean the second best part of the podcast, the randomizer? Uh, yes, I do mean exactly that. Yes, it's the randomizer with Chris Randomizer Dale, also known as the Randomizer. Mm. Uh, he's going to randomly select a random episode. Oh, sorry, I should be yeah. doing the Secret Service voice here, shouldn't I? <laughs> you should really. I, ca- I can't bring myself to do it now, but <laughs> just imagine I'm doing it. Uh, he's going to randomly select a random episode yeah. of the Random Jerry Anderson Show and say yeah. some things alongside it. So um, please welcome along the man with a very kind face. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a big randomizer, Chris Dale. <laughs> he does have a kind face. Oh, oh, what time is it? Oh, 400 hours. Oh, why did you guys have to bring me all the way out here at this time of day, morning, night, whatever it is? Oh, a natural curiosity. Oh, you're a sadist, Paul Metcalf, you know that? Another 10 minutes, then we'll start back. Oh, that just makes it all the more pointless. What possible reason could you have for dragging me out of bed? Oh, right, okay. Yeah, the randomizer. Um, press button, get print out, me sleep. Yes, fine, whatever. Who, whoever wants to press it, yes, go ahead. You're the electronics expert, Lieutenant. You think you can handle the controls? Yes, Captain Scarlet. Right. What can it be? We'll soon know. I just hope it's something that makes getting out of bed at this ungodly hour worthwhile. Look. Yes, that's the, um, uh, the, uh, what did you call it? The, um, uh, printout. That's, that's it. Yes. Uh, so, Captain Scarlet, if you'd give us the good or the bad news. Let's see. It's Crater 101. Oh, oh, excellent. Oh, well, that's sure to make some people very happy. I dare say it's almost worth getting out of bed for. Do I get a coconut? Uh, no, no. I did say almost. Let's get over there and investigate. Leading the fight, one man fate has made indestructible. His name, Captain Scarlet. So here we are. This has been a long time coming. We've had Lunaville 7 and we've had Dangerous Rendezvous, but we haven't had the middle installment of the uh, Lunaville trilogy, Crater 101. But here it is today. And I instantly love this picture of... Stop the picture. ...the Mr. On Complex that we start off with. No doubt. That shot proves conclusively Crater 101 on the far side of the moon houses a Mr. On Complex. Yes, Colonel. We were shocked when we saw it from the moonmobile. Shocked, startled, and surprised, Colonel. Yes, I, I love the way that, A, the complex looks completely different to the last time we saw it, which I think is a good thing, because I wasn't quite... It, it was hard to get a sense of what or where it was last time. But also I love all the machines have, have lined up for a group photo. 
I think that's quite sweet. Have been made with the lunar authorities to carry this out. Anywho, we have a plan for dealing with this. More dangerous. It involves a calculated risk of the first mech. Colonel White says it must be destroyed as soon as possible, even though in most running orders, this episode doesn't follow Lunaville 7. Uh, immediately. ...decided to send a volunteer party into Crater 101, into the Mistron complex. Objective, to find and remove the power source from the complex. And I've decided you guys are the volunteer party. Yes, scarlet, blue and green. Although you have discovered our complex on the moon, it will never reveal its secrets. Anyone who dares to enter will be destroyed. I've always thought that this Mistron threat almost sounded like, um... Been warned. Yes. The, the... We have not... Sorry, they're still talking. <laughs> I always thought that it sounded, this threat sounded like the Mistrons were sort of holding up their car keys and sort of dangling it in front of the earth. Woohoo! Look at this! Tempting! You want this, but don't come. But if you can, woo, look, you could, you could learn secrets. It's... The way they phrase it is so much of, uh, you know, just a tantalising um, prospect that Spectrum can't afford to pass up, probably. And now we have this uh, shot of everyone just sort of sitting in silence while the uh, jolly Spectrum music plays out. Your decisions can be made in the strictest confidence. I'm ready to go, sir. Thank you, Lieutenant. As the electronics experts, you will play a vital part in the operation. Count me in, sir. Thank you, Captain. I know I can rely on you. He's full of praise for everybody this week. Well, Colonel, I am due for 48 hours furlough in Miami. Oh. But I couldn't really relax knowing the kind of trouble these two would get into without... And that's an interesting uh, shot there. I think that may be the only time in the series you see Captain Blue's smiling face. Or what you will find. Probably good, because it looks a bit, um, strange. Because Captain Blue, I, th I think, had a face that sort of looked quite, quite smiley anyway. If not smiley, then, you know, he clearly possessed a, a, an upbeat personality. The smiling head just looks a bit weird. I'm glad that wasn't used again. Area. It was built up from but we're here now, on the moon, in Lunaville 6. Days. What do we know about the vehicles which were building the complex? And they built a model of Crater 101. It's programmed to carry out the task. This larger one controls the operation. Ah. Yes. I don't know how or when all this was started. The lunar controller was a Mistron agent. Uh, citation needed, I think. Him when Lunaville 7 was destroyed. Again, nothing in Lunaville 7 to say that he absolutely 110% was a Mistron agent. We have decided to use a low... Personally, I've always felt it was more interesting that, uh, perhaps he wasn't, but... Good. Hey-ho, I'm not going to argue with Linda Nolan and her, uh, uh rather pointy glasses. Are the arrangements for the atomic device finalised, Fraser? Yes, Miss Nolan. I will follow the Moonmobile in a lunar tank carrying the bomb. Oh, I recognize that um, computer prop. I think that's the one from uh, Ricochet. Standard Earth time. The one with all the lights and tape recorders on the bottom. It's just behind Fraser there. Two to get to Crater 101 and four hours to remove the power source and get clear. So we have a plan. We're on our way. We're going to head out to the complex, have a look around and then blow it up at midnight. I'd, I'd like you to take this. It's a lucky charm. I'm not really superstitious, but please take it. To Linda Nolan, the CB-29 Neptune probe, July 10th, 2058. Another July 10th. We made it ahead of schedule. I remember. You were the project controller on the first Neptune probe launched from the moon. Yes, Captain Blue. That's a lot of writing to get on one lucky charm, I've always thought as well. To get all that on there, it would need to be, like, I don't know, Let's go at least twice the size. Anywho, we have this. Man. And very good looking. Who? 
Captain Scarlet. Yes, I suppose so. I didn't really notice. Yes, Miss Nolan. Hmm. I've always... A lot of people, I think, have found that an odd moment. I've personally always chosen to believe that at that point Fraser isn't yet a Mr. On because I kind of think Fraser wouldn't sort of start up that kind of conversation with Linda although it, it I think it was special assignment where a Mr. On agent looked at Scarlet and, uh, and and described him as the dark good-looking one um, some have suggested that um, possibly uh, Fraser is gay that may be why he calls out, you know, the fact that Scarlet is quite an attractive man. Uh, I'm sure it's it wasn't written that way, but it's certainly, I think, there if you want to uh, to infer it. But many years ago, I can't remember why I was looking at the possibility of of novelising some uh, Captain Scarlet, and I, as I said there, yes, Miss Nolan, I felt that Fraser wasn't a Mistron in his first appearance. Night S E T. He is now, I think. Some time to get clear. Just, just something clues me into the fact that uh, he might be a Mr. On at this point. Fraser, are you all right? Yes, I'm fine. His, uh... Your instructions will be carried out. Vacant stare. Blank monotone. And the dramatic music. Yeah, it's it's an oddly different performance from when we last saw him. And I always assumed that... Well, if I'd uh, novelised the episode as I, for some reason, had planned to at some point... Out in an hour. He would have seen off... Scarlet and Blue and Green in the Moonmobile and then as he turned to leave he would have spotted someone out on the lunar surface and he would have been looking around the windows and he would have been encouraged into an airlock which would have shut behind him and then the door would have opened into the vacuum and of course it's Captain Black uh, working the airlock doors to, to kill him Just a, a little insight into uh, not a Lost Worlds of Anderson but a Lost Worlds of Dale I guess there Anywho, as the uh, lunar tractor departs Lunaville 7. The sort of departure area was made up of bits and pieces from other episodes. There was the mini-sat housing from Shadow of Fear. Captain Scarlet on the interspace radio link, sir. And uh, one of the uh, pressure domes from Avalanche. Captain Scarlet? Yes, Colonel. We're about to cross the lunar horizon. We will then be on the far side of the moon from Earth and we'll lose all radio contact. I understand, Captain. So I'm going to tell you I love you now. When we arrive at the crater, we will immobilize the control vehicle and then enter the complex. (laughs) They're so sure of themselves. We can... It's alien technology. We can immobilise it. No problem. SIG, Captain. Report back as soon as the radio link is restored. Out. What are their chances, sir? They cannot be calculated. Men have faced the unknown before. But I believe no man has ever faced what awaits them in Crater 101. Donald Gray is really good at um, the sort of prophetic doom-laden pronouncement... Uh, and, and I think in that, that moment there, they really sold it because there's an extreme zoom in on the colonel's face right up to his eyes, and then it just slowly goes out of focus. It's just over this ridge. Yes, I do. Also, again, Captain Magenta has been left in charge of the cloud-based communications console. Always nice to see him picking up a bit of extra work here and there. But they've arrived now. The uh, Moonmobile has... Stop the Moonmobile. ...hopped its way to the uh, to the edge of Crater 101. Oh, the vehicles are still lined up for their little group photo, but now we're down uh, down on the ground. We're now down at street level. Um, an odd shot. Well, it answers one question. How to get in. You mean we'll go in the same way? Yes, Lieutenant. Let's get into the moon tractor. Yes, they're talking about how they're going to get into the Mistron complex, and there was a shot there of what I guess was meant to be one of the Mistron vehicles entering the city through what could be a sort of force field, but it's really hard to see what that actually is meant to be. It looks like just a smear of Vaseline, and uh, yeah, one of the few shots in this episode that I would say uh, 
are not just unconvincing, but actually unclear. It's, it's a very unhelpful shot in terms of establishing what's going on. Anywho, Scarlet and Blue and Green have got into the Lunar Tractor. But the Mr. On Control Vehicle is already after them. Knock out that control vehicle. And it's, uh, it's two radio-controlled um, henchmen are also on the, Green. On the case. And I do like the look of these vehicles. I, I know some people find them a bit silly. Oh, there's that sound effect again. The, uh, the Spectrum rifle. It was, that goes back to Torchy, that sound effect. There's another. Swerve. But, uh, yeah, I just love the fact that this looks so unlike anything else we've ever seen in the series. It does look like Mr. On Tech. The control vehicle. There's so much dust. The huge clawing arms on the top. Fire. You know, you can look at those and think, okay, that is a machine designed for work, for building work. But it also makes a, a credible threat. So they're nice vehicles, these. I also like the control vehicle, which just sort of zips about everywhere and doesn't really do much. Oh, but one of the grabby machines... Stop! ...has pulled in front of the lunar tractor and... ...created a trench that they've driven into. Also, I suppose we should mention the, the terminology of vehicles here. This is the lunar tractor... Duck! which has weapons and Fraser is driving the lunar tank which does not have weapons and is bringing um, the bomb up. I've always felt that the, the, the terms were the wrong way round. This thing should be the tank, what with it being, you know, armed. It won't budge. And the, the tank should have been the tractor because it's doing the, the heavy lifting of the bomb. Anywho, that mistake notwithstanding. We have one chance, Lieutenant. Don't miss. We have what is probably Lieutenant Green's, if not greatest moment, then a certainly most well-remembered moment here, where he single-handedly blows up the Mr. On Control vehicle and saves them all from the evil robot thing. Do I get a coconut? If we ever get out of this, Lieutenant, I'll buy you all the coconuts you can eat. Ah, oh. There's a nice little bit of banter and humour there. I like that. Six to Luna Tank. What I doubt Scarlet kept his word when they got back to Earth, but you never know. Right. Remember, set the detonator for 12 o'clock SET. I am sorry, Earthwoman. Oh. The detonator is already set for 10. Oh dear. Two hours earlier than Spectrum think. Fraser, listen to me, Fraser. Captain Scarlet is below the lunar horizon. He is indeed. You cannot contact him. He will die in Crater 101. So that's a very effective cliffhanger, and, and we come back to find... Lieutenant Green's freed the lunar tractor. We're ready to go. Yes, they, they sent Green out there all by himself, with apparently no equipment, to free the lunar tractor. It doesn't actually look like he's done anything, but Blue says he has. Tell Lieutenant Green to get back in here. S.I.G. Here comes Fraser, with the bomb. I'm about to release the atomic device. Everyone's using communicators that look like pens. Good luck. Out. And goodbye, Earthmen. Oh, I'm also wondering if this uh, interior cockpit set of the um, lunar tractor that Fraser is in, it's so hard to keep these, these round the right way because I, I, as I know they're wrong, um, I think that might be the interior set of the Spectrum hovercraft from Traitor. Anywho, Fraser has deposited the bomb and um, that, interestingly, is the last we see of him in this episode as he just reverses out of the crater. Uh, 
yeah, he I, he's not mentioned again. Nobody thinks it's important to track him down. Uh, again, going back to my idea for a, a novelization, I, I hate to keep going on about that, but um, I always felt that there should have been a point where Fraser reappeared just as Blue and Green were trying to escape the crater. Like, you know, on their journey in the lunar tank back to the Moonmobile, Fraser appears and is trying to smash them, and ultimately they have to... Uh, they have to blow him up. It's just so strange that um, not, I don't know if he's forgotten. He just sort of there's no no, no real room in the story to deal with him. So he's presumably at liberty to uh, tear around the moon. Radio check, Captain Blue. In a if not armed vehicle, then uh, quite a large vehicle to do a bit of damage. But never mind. Through the wall. Through the wall. We don't need to worry about Fraser because here we are. In the Mysteron complex on the moon. And it's instantly just one of the most striking visuals indescribable of any Anderson show. Let's move on. And what I find so incredible about this is the people making this had no reason to assume, other than the fact that it might be shown in America, they had no reason to assume that this would ever be shown in colour. At the very least, they had to assume that most of the people who saw this on first broadcast would be seeing it in black and white. Situation negative. You can level that about the entire show. You know, you have a, an organization filled with color-coded officers in a series being shown in black and white. But this... Where's Lieutenant Green? This just kaleidoscope of... Lieutenant Green! Colors and lights and shadows. It's absolutely phenomenal stuff and they did not need to go to all this trouble they really didn't over there and we are now we are now reaping the the rewards of the fact that they did because in hd this looks incredible lieutenant green what's wrong those lights they're hypnotic yep our spectrum team has uh well, they've already bungled the assignment, uh, pretty much. They've entered the complex and been distracted by some uh, uh, some lights. You, Green and blue are I, I, utterly out of it. I mustn't look. Oh, Scarlet, because he's so tough, he's going to pull out his space gun and uh, do a bit of uh, shooting at it. And it's, uh, it's interesting that that's a, a different model handgun to the usual Spectrum pistols. It's quite good, actually. I'm, I'm not sure why that was never seen again. All been transfixed. I couldn't look away. I tried, but I just couldn't. Let's move on and stay together. I've also often wondered what um, it would be like to actually wear one of those Spectrum Fraser is a helmets. Are you sure, Controller? Because there's so much foam in there, it can't be comfortable. It could be quite warm, though. Instead of 12. What? Or isn't there some way we can warn Captain Scarlet? No, he's out of radio range. Oh, dear. So, luckily for Miss Nolan, she's she's lost her chap Fraser, but she still has Schroeder. You're just in front of where you're standing. Yes, this, this I think, looks a bit strange with the, the correctly proportioned puppets. Yes. Having them walk into this anti-gravity bit that makes them float up to the ceiling. I found the because they they look like what they are, puppets on, on wires. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, obviously I can't think of any other way they would have done it unless they sort of lifted them in from below. Look. But... Oh. What is it? 
There's only one way to find out. Hmm. We walk up to it very, very slowly. And even today, watching this episode, this does feel like a sort of landmark, almost event, within the the, the run of episodes of the show, because I think a lot of fans always wanted some kind of return to Mars and the Mistron complex that we never got in the, the original series. But we have this, this return to the same kind of technology and environment that we we saw in those first fleeting moments in, in the very first episode. Remember the 12 o'clock deadline. I would have to assume a lot of this is, is reused, or at least some of it. The bomb explodes. An unmanned rocket. Could it work? Yeah, could do. There's the slimmest chance, but it's the only one. I also like this this idea that, that they're not alone. There is uh, another team of good guys in this episode who are involved with this project, not directly, but they're, they're trying to help out our Spectrum heroes who don't know that the bomb has been set is ready on the launch for 10 o'clock instead of the agreed 12, because those Mr. Ons reset the clock. All we can do now is hope. Five, four, three, two, one, lift off. Yep, Lunaville are launching their rocket. This is uh, later going to be revealed, just in case I waffle over it. Uh, the same model of rocket that Linda Nolan mentioned uh, having been aboard for the, the Neptune probe. I'm going to try... A, a CB-29, um, which we're told is obsolete, so I don't know why they would have any hanging around, but um, hey-ho, I suppose if it still works, may as well get some use out of the tech. While Scarlet is trying to remove the power source from the central table, what was that? The rocket arrives. I'll go and find out. It's a suspicious explosion sound in an alien complex. Oh, I'm sure it's fine. Go and investigate on your own. We've now got 15 minutes left. Can you see anything, Captain Blue? Yes, it's an unmanned space probe, an old CB-29. Another lovely touch with this episode, and it was there in in Lunaville Seven as well as is Barry Gray's music. Those just strange sounds and haunting noises do so much to to suggest that this is an alien environment and a... To Lyndon Nolan. The Mr. On's music, obviously, is very hostile and, and harsh. 58. But the moon atmosphere stuff is also lovely. Can you see a connection? And our heroes are... Ahead of schedule. Very slowly putting the pieces together. Use 12 o'clock SET. And this is a fun shot. The bomb. It could mean the bomb will explode ahead of schedule. Captain Blue, check the detonator timing on that atomic device. Because I always think Captain Scarlet looks like he's bouncing up and down with excitement when he says, check the detonator timing on that atomic device. It's just, he's, just, he's bouncing in time with the dialogue. It's very subtle, but once once you've seen it, he's, he almost looks like he, he needs to pee. Um, I'm sorry for lowering the tone, but that's there's just something sort of almost like he's bouncing on the spot for some reason. Scarlet, the detonator's set for ten. Get out of there. The whole crater will go up in five minutes. Get into the moonmobile. I'll follow as soon as I can. I'm coming back. No, at least get the cameras to safety. Captain Scarlet. You know I'm right, Adam. Do as I say. Spectrum is green. Oh, he's always right. We all know that. Um, I also I was looking at the spacesuits here, and I do like the designs of them, but I'm never quite sure about the helmets. It... It kind of looks like they're not fastened down. Um, 
you know, that you could just take them off at the the neck and to a certain extent I don't see how they, they afford much protection. But anywho, Blue and Green have returned to the Moonmobile. Two minutes to detonation. In the Lunar Tractor. They've made good time. Loaded the thing back aboard. Which is interesting because it must be very small to fit in the Moonmobile. But Scarlet has got the Mistron power source with 56 seconds to go. He's now got to race out of there. I always wonder with this as well, um, how they get down the anti-gravity bit here. Any sign of when they're leaving. Is it is it that there's just no gravity there, or is there something sort of propelling them up, keeping them in that room? Because if that was the case, they would have been in serious trouble. But I guess it must just be no gravity, they got out easily, and just in time, because kablooey! Now this beautiful Mr. On Complex model goes up in flames. And it's a lovely shot of blue and green watching from the uh, make it from the edge of the crater. Didn't make it. Look, ah, he made it. What a guy! And very good looking. Yes, he made it. Of course, he made it. And uh, yeah, he's got the Mr. On power source, which we know from the episode Dangerous Rendezvous will lead into a a, a thrilling and and satisfying conclusion to the Lunaville trilogy. And um, we'll say no more about that. Connison shows it was a complete success. Hmm, we blew up everything. It means that the Mysteron powers of reconstruction are somehow connected with this power source. Or that's what they want you to think. Well, I'm afraid it's goodbye. Oh. Thank you for everything. Goodbye, Captain Scarlet. A subtle touch here. She's taken off her glasses. I'd take it as a favor if you'd keep it. Thank you. Let's go, Adam. She loves him. Oh, All the girls love him. And so good-looking. I suppose so. I didn't think you'd notice. Being as stuck-up and frigid as you are, old girl, I didn't think you'd notice. Um, yeah, well, there we go. That was uh, the end of Linda Nolan and her relationship with Captain Scarlet. And that was Crater 101, which uh, I hope I've given the impression that I thoroughly enjoyed that one, because I absolutely do. Directed by Ken Turner. Some good stuff here. Good stuff all round. As I said, I think this is one of the sort of landmark episodes of the series, not just in terms of the story with the return to the the Mistron complex, even though it's not the same one we saw in the first episode. I think you know that's something that viewers at the time and even watching this uh, in subsequent decades and generations must have been clamoring for. But but more than that, just the the way the story is told uh, and the visual elements of this one, the the visuals in this are. I don't know if it's because they're so unusual to the series, but I, I think it's just they're so unusual and strange and genuinely terrific all round it's so strange to think that this is you know so many of the anderson shows they put so much into these and this is a, a, a possibly the definitive example of an episode where they put so much in that at the time they would have had no idea could have been appreciated to the extent that we now can in hd this was shown again in black and white on first broadcast it's incredible and that's probably the, the word that best describes this episode all round. It's uh, absolutely incredible. Really good stuff. Ah, dum 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 bum. Woo! Lovely. Lovely. There we go. Yeah, great. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. It's just Love it's, a bit of that. Yeah, it's just some of them are so such catchy Barry Gray themes. You just yes. have to. 
try exactly. and sing a well, bit of it. That's the point. That's that's his job done, isn't it? That's the whole point. Well, Chris is. No, no, no. Oh, uh, Barry Gray. Yeah, 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 yeah. yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much, Chris. Chris will be back uh, with something else. Could be more Scarlet, could be not, could be anything. Who knows? In fact, as we've discovered in previous weeks, it could literally be anything. Yeah, I know. Imagine if next week, for example... Yeah. No, no it's all right. I was about to say, maybe he did start that list and started with an episode of Coronation Street. Well, it, it would be random anyway, wouldn't it? Probably. So, oh, yeah, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Well, maybe right. he'll uh, you know, be doing episode 34 of The Generation Game. Um, oh, now that I'd like to see. Yeah, would that be Larry Grayson? Thirty-four. No, that would be early days still, wouldn't it? That would still be Brucey, I would think. Well, I thought Larry Grayson was before Brucey. On no, Brucey started, then Larry. And, Larry, and then Bruce came back. Yes, I didn't know that. There you go. You live and learn. Every this day is, is a school day. This is like archive telly one hundred and one, sh- isn't it? Should I say every day is a school day? Oh, I didn't know you could crack out a Brucey. <laughs> Beg your pardon. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right, anyway, let's move on towards the end of this podcast before we get oh, ourselves well. in trouble. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, yeah, that's all for now. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you. To see you. Nice. nice. I wonder how many people across the country just shouted nice at that moment. <laughs> About three. Uh, none. Yeah. And you're one of them? Yeah, and you're the other one. Uh, good, and Chris was the other one of your mouth. Right, okay, that's the end of it. Bloody hell. I think so. Yeah, um, come on. Jerryanson.com uh, is the site. Podcast Ooh. at jerryanson.com is the email address. Please do leave us a rating. Um, mm. A few more of you have done it, and we're very, very grateful. Some lovely ones have come through. We might read them next week. But for now, we'll say goodbye. We'll see you in pod 249. <laughs> yes, crikey, imagine that. So many. Next week... Thank you for listening, Potterons. Now go and dry your ears. And remember, keep dancing! Stage one complete. Let's go! Why have you never shown me your Brucey before? You've never asked, Jim. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't but this is this is the Rumsfeld doctrine. I don't know the things I don't know. If you don't give me a list of the impressions you can do, then I All won't right. know to ask. I say, who else can you do? Oh, well, I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to find out as we go on. Oh, come on. We've got uh, another, you know, well, 248 was that podcast? Yeah. Well, you know, in 248 podcasts, I've given a bit of Brucey. I've given him a Terry Wogan, of course. Yeah. But Patrick Stewart yeah, went yeah, down yeah. quite well. Um, oh, but Trevor McDonald was a bit of a, a left-wing one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it wasn't expecting, uh, expecting um, that one. Yeah, yeah. So maybe the next 249, you know, you might get a few more surprises. Well, I can't wait. I yeah. mean, yeah. Could be anybody. <laughs> Barbara Windsor? <laughs> like she was in the room oh <laughs> lovely stuff well i can't wait for more and yeah uh, yeah yeah i can do burn a breast law yeah yeah sid <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs>
There you go. <laughs> They're all here with us. You're wasted on this podcast. <laughs> well, uh, I've been telling you, been telling you that for years. Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay, I better not uh, no. say anything else. You might leave. Right. Uh, thank you, Bernard, uh, Sid, uh, Barbara, and Bruce, etc., etc., and Richard. Yes. And uh, see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.